0: There's this cognitive dissonance that happens then. There's this disconnect between what the salesperson knows in their brain and what's coming out of their mouth. And when the client's in front of them, we all have this this primitive, this primate brain, this little almond-sized brain in our head that's not the executive function. It's the primitive function, and it never shuts off. And it's always sending out a signal that says, am I safe? Am I safe in this moment? Is that thing across from me gonna eat me or can I eat it, right? And so that primitive brain picks up on that cognitive dissonance. They can smell that something's not quite right and they go, this doesn't smell good and I'm not gonna eat this. And so people, salespeople that have that disconnect between what they're saying and what they believe usually aren't around very long because customers sense that and those salespeople aren't successful. Welcome to episode 80 with Timothy Rethlake
1: of Hearth and Home Technologies. And this is a conversation that extremely fascinated me. Tim has incredible experience in the sales world. He's been in sales, he's trained sales. Now at this point in his career, he consults companies and firms on sales. And he used the term high integrity sales, which had a different definition than what I was anticipating. And he he mentioned how it's the lifeblood of any business and why many sales onboarding programs uh, are actually uh, setting up people to fail. Their salespeople people to fail, and he went on to explain how important high integrity sales is and what that means. So you have to listen in as he discusses that, and and really he touches on the view of every organization, uh, how their leaderships built, and he speaks to uh, what motivates us as employees, as managers, and how to get the most out of our our sales process. And finally, you know, he spoke about Hearth and Home Technologies, which. They have some amazing products, amazing innovation, uh, so many things that fit, so many different needs from our customer base. You will love this episode, especially if you're looking at how to enhance your sales and communication process. So without further ado, here's the episode. Enjoy. So welcome today to the Construction Podcast today, and we are fortunate to have with us Tim Rethlake, who is the Vice President of Trade Marketing for Hearth and Home Technologies. Welcome, Tim. Brad, it's
0: a pleasure to be with you today.
1: And Tim is actually a referral of Mark La Liberte. For those of you that have been listening to the podcast, we've had Mark on a couple of times. And Tim has tremendous experience in sales. We're going to get into hearth and home technologies uh, here a little bit later in the discussion. But to start here, Tim, you know what is high integrity sales?
0: That sounds like a trick question right <laughs> it, out, right out of the shoot here. Uh, high it's... integrity sales, some, some <laughs> people will go, that's an oxymoron, right? <laughs> there, there is no such thing. Yeah, it's. Um, it's it's a term that that we use internally a lot, and uh, in, integrity comes from the word integris, which means whole. That's where integer comes from, a whole number. And some people think about integrity as someone that doesn't lie, cheat, or steal. That's not an integrity issue. That's a morality issue. Someone that has high integrity is when they are a whole person. The the inside sort of matches the the outside, right? So. Uh, they are in a in an industry that they believe in a hundred percent wholeheartedly they sell a product or a service and that that they have a hundred percent confidence and belief in and so what we've always kind of coached our our trade partners that that handle our brands is if you have the best solution in the market, if you have the best service and if you're representing the best products. Then an educated consumer at the end, whether that be a, a home builder or a home owner, uh, is your friend actually? So you don't you never have to worry about, uh, you know, how am I going to color this? How do I how do I sort of couch this? You can have full transparency when you when you are in a, a high integrity uh, situation. It's
1: interesting because I've heard from a lot of entrepreneurs and business owners that have been successful, and they always say there's really two things that motivate your team. One is they want to feel valued, right? They want to feel appreciated. Uh, They want to feel like they matter to the business owner, to the business itself. And then number two, that they believe in the product or they believe in the vision or they believe in what they're doing. And really by having both of those, if they feel valued and they they have value in the company or the vision of the company, then now you really get that synergy for people that believe in the culture and are going to make you successful. And essentially, this is, I've never heard it put this way, where high integrity sales is really what you're defining is saying, if, if, if you have a great product or great innovation or a great company, and the people believe in that, they can stand behind that, then their whole demeanor, their culture, their communication, everything will be that high integrity sales.
0: Absolutely. And, and I, I call it the wince factor, right? I, I talk to salespeople. I So when your phone goes off and you look at it and it's a customer calling, do you wince a little bit? And if you do, then you've got an issue with integrity because you've let them down somewhere along the line, right? Because build, building trust with customers is really simple. You do what you say you're going to do every time over time. I didn't say it was easy. It's just simple. And especially in the industry that we're in where, um, gosh, I don't know, Brad, on a a typical build are less than 5%, maybe 2% of the people on that job are your direct employees of AFT. Correct. Everyone else is a trade partner, right? Mm -hmm. So you're making promises to your clients and then you're depending on other people to come through for you to deliver that promise. And so th- when th- this whole industry of home building where you've got independent trade contractors that are all working together on a job site, making one vision become whole, that, th- if, if you don't have integrity and trust all the way through that value chain from the manufacturers through to the installing distributors or the dealers through to the designers, the people doing the final punch outs, the cleaning crew at the end, right? Right that says, what What does this consumer walk, what do they see when they walk through that front door with the key in their hand for the first time? There is so much trust and transparency that has to take place for that all to come off well, as as you well know.
1: Well, it's interesting because, I, you know, how do you make that turn as a business owner? And, and the reason I ask is, Tim, is you've done a lot of training and you teach a lot of people high integrity sales and, you know, the communication because, you know, for you representing your brand of products, I mean, they they... They're, they're great products. And we're going to get into this, but you know, on an individual level, each trade partner will have a product that they feel is maybe superior. They believe in it's that high integrity, but the challenge now is the general contractors, okay, how do we get each of these members to believe in our vision and what we're doing? And I'll give an example, site cleanliness, something to me that's really important is site cleanliness. And it's been something that we've tried to perfect and execute, right? To show our clients that we care about their investment. We feel that it's safer. We could build more efficiently when people are clean. And it's hard because there's moments of construction where it's not there. And we do have some of our vendors that believe in that. They see the vision. They see that integrity portion, but then some don't. And so what are some key management specifics or communication or how do we set those expectations for people to be successful?
0: Yeah, good question. And I think it's probably a little bit more of a challenge today when, when labor can be a challenge. Right. And and so um, I think it might have been on one of your previous episodes where you were talking about uh, your what are your first construction jobs that you worked? Was it California? maybe It was. I I, I was. Yeah. California. And and, and I remember the story you told was that the 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 project owner, whoever it was, said, this is my expectation Mm -hmm. for what you guys are going to do on this job. Mm -hmm. Right. And so no, but I, I don't think anybody wants to purposely be bad at what they do. And so often, if the expectation is not met, it's because the expectation was not set. Or clearly defined. Or clearly defined, right. And say, this is what good looks like, and this is what I expect on my jobs. And if you can't meet that standard, then this is not going to work well for either of us.
1: You know, that's that's really good advice. And it's funny because as, as you say it, you know, and you reiterate that, Tim, I, I, you know, I've mentioned to our team, for example, just using the site cleanliness example, We've seen where, when our superintendent will have the trade partner first come on site and they say, this is my expectation. Here's how it looks like. This is what I expect at the end of each day and throughout the course of construction. It's more successful. And and that really goes into the product, into installation. It goes into everything that we do. So in a perfect scenario, each of our trade partners understand our branding and now they're achieving what they can, you know, to be part of that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And and it's, it's not... It's not a perfect world, right? and And things are going to get screwed up along the line. and And what I've always try and remind our our sales uh, teams about is <clears throat> there's there's a one second difference between make the call and take the call. And if that customer finds that mistake first and now they're inbound calling, even even though it may be true that you were just getting ready to call them and tell them you're aware of it, and this is how you're going to solve it, don't ever say to them, oh, I was just getting ready to call you, Brad.
1: Because <laughs> I said,
0: "I said, do you believe it when people tell it to you? And they go, no. I said, then why do you expect your customers to believe it when you say it? So I said, get ahead of it. Be proactive when things do go south and and just say, we're aware of this. It, we didn't meet the expectation. Here's our plan to remediate it. I love that you said that because I think most of us have a
1: tendency to do that. I was just going to call you. Maybe we were, maybe we weren't, but at least it may have been on our agenda. We just allowed other things to occupy us. And it's funny because when we have trainings as a company, and, and, and I'll relate this to scheduling, we have scheduling issues as everyone does right now. And it's no different from our architect who has engineers he's waiting on, our designers who are waiting on suppliers and furnishings. And then us as GC, we're waiting on our vendors, right? And we're waiting on labor. And you know, we'll have clients that'll call and say, hey, AFT, what's the schedule? What's going on at the house this next week? If our clients made that call, that means we haven't done our part communicating to them what the look ahead is. What are the next three weeks looking like? Who's going to be here? And and on a more condensed version, if we're doing a remodel or something, that's a high stressful project where we may say, Hey, the drywall is going to be here tomorrow. And then by 10 AM, the client's calling us saying, where's your drywaller? Well, he may have called us that morning and said, I have flat tire. I'm going to be there at noon. And if we don't relay that to the customer now, it, it, it's not that we're being dishonest. It's just making them question our process. Sure. Sure.
0: And in the absence of a story, the client makes their own up.
1: They make their own interpretation up. Right. Or maybe they feel that they have to now babysit us or manage us, which I'm sure you deal with with your sales team. Mm-hmm. And okay. so how do you, can, can someone be a good salesman? I know that you go through and train this and, you know, it's one thing to say, okay, well, we believe in the product. We believe in what we're doing. And this is what integrity sales is now. Let's turn the corner, and can you make anybody a good salesman?
0: Well, obviously, we all are salespeople, right? I mean, everybody's in sales. How, how many times in the course of a week will your kids come and try and sell you on letting them do something? Right? <laughs> so, so we're all in sales to some degree. It's just that there's not not all of us do it professionally or have it have it on our business card. And so, um, I, I the high integrity sales. Um, process is also known you know it's also a consultative sales process so it basically is flipping the lenses and there's really been such so much bad scripting out there Brad on, on you know people that do you, you know if you know if you're not telling you're not selling and i mean just super stupid stuff like that and um, daniel pink uh, wrote a book called to sell as human and in that book is the first time i've seen the, the term coined of ambivert An ambivert is someone who is introverted by nature, but they can be extroverted. It just takes a little bit of of effort to do it. And the reason ambiverts make the best salespeople is because their default mode is to listen first and talk later. And I've got a buddy back in in St. Paul, Minnesota, where I live, Tim Murray, and he always says, uh, I may not be much, but I am all I like to talk about. And I laugh every time he says it, right? But I've used that in line now in my sales training because I tell salespeople, if you can understand the psychology behind that sentence, you can be successful at selling. Because all of us have challenges in life. We have things every day that we're trying to fix, accomplish, or avoid. And so if the salesperson can just be patient enough and and and... Put some insightful questions to the client. And, and you know, I'm not saying like make it feel like an interrogation or the Spanish Inquisition, nothing like that. But put some insightful questions out and then be patient enough to hear the story that that client is telling. And then have the integrity to say, yep, I think we have a solution that will help you with that. Or maybe there's that one time out of 100 that you have to go, now that I know what you're looking for, Brad, now that I better understand what your vision is, I'm going to have to send you to my competitor across town because they have it exactly what you're looking for and I don't. And the minute you do that, your integrity soars with that client you're talking to at the moment. And maybe you don't get that immediate sale, but I promise you they will always keep you in the mix on future sales down the road.
1: I love that perspective. You know, it's interesting. As I look back, you know, we're being sold to every day as a general contractor. And in turn, we're also selling our brand to our clientele, right? That there's, so, so it comes from both sides. And I have seen that a lot of the talented individuals that sell are extroverts that have to become introverts. And it makes sense. Ambervert, which is the term you use, which I've not heard till this podcast, um, so, so when it comes to the listening, you know, someone who is inherently an introvert, you know, that they may have that talent inherent to them to be a good listener. How do you teach your sales team or other sales persons, you know, to be a better listener and to really listen to what the client's asking and to help solve those pain points?
0: Yeah. Great, great question. Because a lot of onboarding sales onboarding that's done is, you know, a company will hire a a fresh new salesperson and then they will strap their head to a table and they'll put a funnel in their ear and they'll spend the first week just dumping product knowledge in their head, right? Making them a product expert. And they say, okay, you're ready to go. And then they send you out and expect you to listen to customer customer's story instead of just vomiting out all this product knowledge that we've just told you. <laughs> so so a, a lot of sales onboarding programs set salespeople up to fail. We set them up to go out talking, not to go out listening. And so we, we intentionally have a session of our, of our sales onboarding for our trade partners and, and for our sales teams as well that involves empathic listening. And that's, that's a term that I've taken from, from Stephen Covey. We do, we do uh, some internal work with, with some Franklin Covey material. And so Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, is that's been one of the, the form, formative books in, in my life. And, and uh, one of the things that I've been blessed to be able to do is facilitate Seven Habits internally within our company. And so Stephen Covey talks about empathic listening. And he says, an empathic listener, he says, think about yourself. As a um, uh, you're you're at the UN right, and you're a translator, and so you have to listen to what this person says, and then as soon as they finish, you have to be able to repeat to somebody else not just the words they used, but what was their intent, what was their emotion, what was everything that was around those words, and he said if you can just always be thinking about that as soon as they're done, I've got to repeat back both the feeling and the content. it's It takes heavy lifting. It's hard to do because we're all going 108 miles an hour with our hair on fire. That's kind of the world today. Um, and so it, it's, it, it, it you have to, in, in another term we use a lot internally, is slow is fast. That if you slow it down in the beginning and listen to what the customer really wants and and just bite your lip, and even when they finish talking, Just let that five or six seconds, which is an eternity of quiet, just stay quiet. And often they will continue to say more. And it's what they say that second time where the real magic is, because that's what they really were hoping for. That's what was on the inside as they were thinking through their first answer. Then they got to that next answer. And so um, if you if you can listen and drag get that story, you know, get that out there first, then we tr- we teach something very simple. It's just called is does because. And so a fireplace example of that could be, you know, I, I, we, we want our salespeople to really ask a lot of lifestyle questions with clients. Do you entertain at home a lot? okay, so, Then when you come back with the solution, you can say what this is, is a gas fireplace system that allows you to turn it down by 50%. And that's important because you said you entertain at home a lot. So you want to be able to enjoy your fire and not cook your guests out of the room. Right? So, but you can't play is, does, because, because there's no because if you don't listen. Right? So you have to understand what they said so that you can say, the reason I'm suggesting the solution is because you said, and those three words are magic for the client
1: so let me ask you this if before you get to the is does because if if you're instructing a salesperson you know as as they're listening to the client, the client is you know speaking about their needs their wants whatever it may be their living scenario um. Do you recommend that after they finish saying that, that essentially you condense that and repeat it, repeat it just like the translator example, or do they continue to probe and ask more questions in preparation to get to the is does because
0: there, that, that that is a technique called, called mirroring where, where you can repeat back. But I, I, I don't like to see that done too much because then, then it feels like you're, it feels like it's a technique, right? Mm -hmm. Instead of genuine communication. Um, there is, there is a technique of using what the consumer just, if you want them to say more, what the, if you want the client to say more, uh, as soon as they're finished, you can just say what their last two or three words that they just said and just let those hang. And then they almost pick up with them and, and run with those. But there's, you know, there is a, a, a fine line, especially uh, in this past year when face-to-face communication has been limit, more limited than normal. Um, of picking up on all the nuances of communication, the body language, the facial expression, the voice intonation, uh, all of that now has to get filtered through a Zoom call maybe, right, or a FaceTime call. And so your, your antenna as the listener, you, your receptors need to be even higher than, than normal because sometimes what you would catch in a face-to-face conversation uh, is is challenged on a technology conversation. So that repeating back occasionally and checking in and just confirming, this is what I heard you say, Brad, is that, is that, is that, is that close? Is that accurate? Is that fair? Right? Um, I think that's probably even more important now when you don't have as much face-to-face communication. I think that's very valuable. You know, I'm looking back, there's
1: an example recently, and, you know, this is something that was taught to me early in my career too, Is as you're mentioning, Tim, is that, you know, we, we can't be everything to everyone, right? We have to understand our strengths as a company, our strengths as a product, and what we can offer to the client. And it may be better that we point them a different direction, right? We shouldn't try to just sell everyone. And we had a client recently, and they wanted to do this big, extensive renovation and they're going to put these dollars behind it. And it was really tough on, on our team and I, because we knew that they were going to put good money into bad, right? And and we had to sit down and have a conversation to the client and say, look, we want to work with you. You're a great client, but these dollars you're putting into this project will not bring you a good ROI, which is, was important to them. You know, they're in their profession. They know that at some point they'll be moved and relocated. So that was an important pain point for them. And, and it was interesting because having that conversation, they said, you know, Brad, this is what we were thinking. You know, and the fact that you're willing to walk away, even though you had dollars and profitability there, shows just a lot about the company. And we may not do a project for them because of the situation, but I do know that reputation-wise, it, it held um, its weight because now they say, look, here's someone that actually isn't trying to sell me something. They're, they're listening to what we have and and i've made that mistake the other way in the past right and so that's why i think it's super valuable to understand to get to the is does because you do have to sit there and listen and engage and really
0: understand what the pain point and the end goals are
1: you know to know
0: are we the right fit or not right and and that in that conversation that client didn't become a client in that moment but as you said they may sure do it down the road or they may very well be talking to or friends right mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, exactly. So what would you recommend to a salesman? Because going back to the high integrity portion that you mentioned of what that is, you know, it's something you believe in, right? That's what makes you whole. So what if the salesperson does not believe in the product? Do you recommend that they look for a new position? I mean, or or how do you realign maybe the company focus to align with that?
0: Uh if 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 you do not in 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 your Depths of your soul believe that you have the best products and the best solution out there, then yeah, you need to find a different line of work 100%. And, and here's why there, there's this cognitive dissonance that happens then. There's this disconnect between what the salesperson knows in their brain and what's coming out of their mouth. And when the client's in front of them, we all have this, this primitive, this primate brain, this little almond sized brain in our head that's not the executive function. It's the primitive function, and it never shuts off. And it's always sending out a signal that says, am I safe? Am I safe in this moment? Is that thing across from me going to eat me, or can I eat it? Right? And so that primitive brain picks up on that cognitive dissonance. They can smell that something's not quite right, and they go, this doesn't smell good, and I'm not going to eat this. And so people, salespeople that have that disconnect, between what they're saying and what they believe, usually aren't around very long because customers sense that, and those salespeople aren't successful. Well, it's interesting. I guess to that point, if you think about it, uh, you know, from the product side, you know, when
1: you're thinking about the process, you know, for a salesperson, that short-term relationship—how do you help them see the envision? Because a lot of sales is dictated by, you know, most people in business development—they're going to receive a portion of compensation for each sale that they bring for each product that they sell, right? That's a portion of their living. It could be that they're commission-based. And so they're really aggressive in making that sale and going back to your example that, Hey, you may need to go to this fireplace company down the street, or in our case, you may need to go to this other home builder or not do the project. How do you teach the salesperson to see, you know, not look at the short-term financial gain, but look at the long-term you know, it's a long-term play when they're maybe commission-based. Yeah,
0: it's, it's a little counterintuitive, but I teach our salespeople to be lazy. <laughs> and and here, here's kind of what I mean by that. Je- Jeffrey Gittimer is a, a sales trainer out of, out of Philadelphia, and he says people love to buy things, but they hate to be sold something. And all of us know the difference in that, right? So if you're pushing a little too hard, if you're trying a little too hard in the moment, People are people are going to under they're, they're going to understand that you're now you're focused on your commission check and not their satisfaction. They know that salespeople are coin operated. They know this is how you make your living, right? But they also expect that you make a living by serving them, not selling them. And so, what I mean by, by lazy, and I'll, I'll ask you, Brad, if if you have a a potential new client that comes to you, and they came to you as a referral from somebody they already know and trust, how often do you almost always end up doing work for that client?
1: Yeah. Primarily
0: as long as the budget lines up almost every time, almost every time. Mm -hmm. And, and you probably have that conversation to get to that contract in less time. Mm -hmm. So what I teach our salespeople is referrals are actually a time multiplier for you. So what you want to think about, and this seems, you know, somewhat capitalistic way of viewing it, but I said, think about how can you turn your clients into your assistant salespeople? How can you have multiple salespeople all around that are selling for you when you're not in the room? Because when someone's referred to you, they, you they, they're coming to you because someone they trust and know has said, you want to talk to Brad and the crew over at AFT. Because if, if you're going to a custom home, you'd be stupid not to do it or to, not to go with them and that's coming from somebody they know and trust, you've got such a leg up. But but the irony is, and all salespeople go, yeah, you're right, when I got referrals, I almost always close it. And then I always ask, okay, when was the last time you got a referral that you asked for it? And everybody kind of looks at their shoes, right? Because Because we get referrals, we're not intentional about asking for referrals, about going to our clients and saying, are you happy with the work we did for you? Can I ask, is there anybody else that comes to mind that you think I could help as well? And I said, it's kind of super stupid that we don't ask for referrals when we all agree that when we get them, we almost get the sale every time and we do it in less time.
1: So how often should a customer or should us as, uh, you know, for our clients be asking them for referral, you know, for a review, whatever, you know, whatever it is that's going to benefit our business, should we be doing that or, you know, at least have an audit at the end? You know, how did I do, Tim, with your home? You know, what were you happy with? What were you not happy with? How could we do better? Sure. And,
0: and I, you know, I understand that with, with, with your clients there, it's, you're you're not, don't take this wrong. You're not a normal home builder, no. Brad. <laughs> you, you you aren't. I mean, the, the type of clients you work with, you guys get into confidentiality issues. You know, a lot of them don't want photography done inside mm-hmm. their homes. They're, and, but. Um, it it would be great, you know, if you could take, hey, here's the the three Arizona Cardinals who we built their homes, right? But they want the they don't necessarily want that public. So so in your situation, uh, just the fact that when, and and the one thing, uh, the one assumption I would make about your clients is that when they are in that home, you know, for maybe it's just a couple weeks out of the year when they're here, they may have, they may entertain, they may have people in, they may have friends and family that come visit them while they're here in the desert for a few weeks in the wintertime. And then it would probably almost always naturally come up in conversation with them, right? How, how was the process? How did you like it? And, and it's funny, the ownership sometimes that, that uh, some clients take, you know, you would hear to hear them talk, you would think that they designed the home all themselves, you know, and just had an architect stamp the plan. <laughs> um, and maybe some of them do, you know, I, I don't know. But, uh, but they do, when, when it's that kind of, an, of a home where it's, they've got so much invested in it, not just financially, but emotionally, uh, they do like to talk about that. So I would think at least in, in your guys' world... Um, it may not be as big of an issue to be intentional about it, but I still think you have to be intentional about saying, how did we do for you? How do you, I know we've asked and we've been communicating through this 18 months of building this home, but end of the day, here's your keys. How'd we do for you? Would you recommend us?
1: I love that. And, and the dots are connecting because, you know, in other sales processes, you know, I hear the term silent salesman, which is something I live by, right? It's people that sell your brand that aren't on your payroll. And essentially that's what you're saying on a referral basis, you know, as you're building the brand, building the reputation or the experience for the customer, you know, you're essentially creating people that are going to sell your brand, right. And, and, and really sell you. Like I believe in you, Tim. I believe in what you're doing. I believe in the product. I believe in the experience you gave me and the, how you made me feel, you know, in the communication, which is different than I've experienced, you know, when I'm looking for my fireplace and that's, what's going to now extend into my circle, my network. Of referrals, and and I look at this even on a retail basis. You know, most of us know that when you go into a retail store, they have daily goals, daily commissions as a sales team. We need to sell, you know, this many sunglasses here in Sunglass out today, or whatever. You know, they have these goals, but at the same time, I've seen a stark difference when I'm in there shopping. If the salesperson's follow me around the whole time, or if they say, "Just I'm here, let me know if you need something," you know, that experience is different. And and how we need to address. And look at internally how can we take some of those things that we enjoy on uh, when it's reciprocated and now apply those as business owners
0: yep exactly
1: now we're super excited welcome one of our new sponsors to the podcast Pella windows and this is even more exciting because we use Pella in so many of our projects nearly all of them and they've been just an incredible partner of ours and locally Sammy and adam they are not only amazing business partners behind us but they are super close friends and I speak on the podcast all the time about the importance of relationships, right? Relationships with our customers, with our vendors, with our suppliers. Because at the end of the day, I'm only as good as those that help our brand and assist us in our projects to, to take it from the ground up all the way to completion. And if we didn't have partners such as Pella, there's no way we'd be who we are today. Over the years, we've built this amazing relationship. When we call them or email them, they respond. They're quick, their company culture, their integrity, their honesty. You know, they are always there to do what's right for us and the customer. They can do anything from small replacement projects to large custom homes, and even multi-million dollar commercial projects. And also, when you think about their product line, they can do ultra contemporary, historical preservation, and large traditional projects. So for anyone, any scale, any size, they're the ones to call, they're here local. You know, they have an amazing Instagram. Make sure to give them a follow to see what they're doing. So if you need windows and doors, give Sammy and Adam a call. We stand behind Pella. We love what they do, their culture, their brand, and especially their quality. And if you want to learn more about Pella Windows, check our show notes. We'll have everything tagged there so you can give them a follow and have their contact information to reach out. And now let's get back into the episode. So how do you motivate, you know, getting back to that, when you think about your sales team, Tim, you know, when it's commission-based, right, financial wherewithal is a motivator. People want to make money. They want to have a living. That's important to people. Now, making them think about the long-term or investing in the client and doing the autopsy, if you will, and the audit of their process, you know, that's going to help build things for the future. But outside of the financial bonus or incentive, you know, how do you motivate people?
0: Yeah, that's... um... I, I think there's a couple of, of key areas, and and you're right. Everybody says money is not important until the <laughs> money's not important, right? right? But but it's always it's always important. So so assume that you have a, a competitive compensation and benefits package. Um, your question is how do you motivate people? So how do you get them to kind of you know the the ABCD awards the above and beyond the call of duty? How do you get them to do that on their own, right? And so I think there's a there's a couple of things today, and especially with, with uh, you know so many millennials in, in the workforce, is uh, what do you do to develop your people? What am I going to learn while I'm here? And it was I think it was back in December when when you had your episode on where you had your crew, you had your guys on, and I was struck by how many times one of them would say what they learned since coming to AFT, right? What they, what they've learned about construction, what they've learned about their craft and perfecting their craft and what does perfection look like, right? And so I think everyone today says, what, what am I going to learn? How will I get better while, while I'm here? And so I think if you, if you're intentional about that and, and often when we hire people in, we hire them for a specific role and we don't, really talk enough about. Now, this is where you're going to start. This is where I would like to see you develop and progress to. Now, that's my vision for you. You have to share that vision. As a matter of fact, you have to shoulder most of the work there. So like with our, with our individual development plans that we use internally in our company, the, the, the member, they lead their own individual development discussion with their manager. And you know they have other coaching resources available, but if if we um, if you're not in a mode of becoming a continuous learner, then then you're not going to work well in in our culture. And I think most healthy cultures, that's true as well. I love that you share that. I think that's so impactful as I I'm, as I'm listening
1: to you explain that. You know, as a business owner myself, and anyone listening, is that there there is so much truth to that. I've I've seen the mistakes I've made as a business owner when I have the philosophy of. Okay, I'm going to hire you, Tim. I'm putting you in this position. I'm going to kick you off the pier. Good luck. Hopefully you can swim, right? I Really, you set them up for failure. They're in a position where they're not really sure. I, I think anyone, no matter their talent level, no matter their skill level, their ambition, their motivation, we all need structure. We all need to understand opportunities that are in front of us. We need opportunity uh, or understand not only opportunities financially, but opportunities to grow internally right chase experience not money am i am i receiving value am i learning something am i being challenged and and can i now learn the protocol to be successful and if we're not doing that as business owners for our people then we're not allowing them not only to succeed but we're not even cultivating an environment where they're motivated and have a desire to come in and do their best it,
0: exactly and, and especially in a in a home building environment right where it is it's doable. It's it's realistic for someone to be at AFT for you know several years and then start their own home building company. It's not as realistic for one of our members to start their own fireplace <laughs> factory, right? Um, but because home building is so entrepreneurial uh, that it is easy to see. And and I think as an owner, you probably look back in pride and go, "How many people have? How many businesses have I started by training?" and teaching and supporting the person that took the leap and is now successful as a home builder themselves.
1: And it takes some courage too. I've seen other peers that, as you mentioned, Tim, they're they're creating an atmosphere of education and opportunity for their team. And yeah, they're going to lose some of their talented people. They're going to go to be entrepreneurs. But I've seen the really talented ones that understand that they don't have fear. And so that word courage is important because they don't worry, I'm training you, Tim, and now you're going to go off and do your own. I look at you as, you know, either it's a mentality of abundance or scarcity, right? And they understand, I want to have good people in the industry. I want to have good people to compete against. And all that does is that rising tide
0: raises all boats. Absolutely. And, and, and that abundance mindset that you talked about versus a scarcity mindset, that that's that's the game changer right there, right? So, so you're right. When you have an abundance mindset, you're not afraid to develop your people and uh, it's uh, and, and the other thing along with that, education and development, is if you want to motivate your – and sometimes in smaller companies, this becomes an issue where you can get an owner that has their favorites, right? Mm-hmm. And so uh, Herm Edwards, the, the NFL mm-hmm. football coach, is, is he's renowned for having said, treat all your players fairly, but don't dare treat them the same. And, the, and there's the, the wisdom behind that is that all your players are, are, they're motivated differently. They respond to different motivations, right? It's the, the platinum rule versus the golden rule. It's knowing that, hey, Brad, Brad doesn't, may not want to be treated like Tim wants to be treated. So, Tim, I've got to understand what, what motivates Brad. How, what's, a, what's a deposit in Brad's emotional bank account? Right. so for example, if, if somebody wanted to give me opera tickets as an attaboy for doing a good job, <laughs> that that actually is a withdrawal <laughs> because I don't like opera. I I don't really like people that do like opera. It's it's not my jam, right? So if you were my leader and and you said, Tim, here's here's a couple tickets for you and Justine for the Sunday afternoon matinee, hey, I'd go and yeah. The, 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 You you do not know me, right? So it's actually a withdrawal. So intention was good, but delivery was off a little bit.
1: I I love that because you have to think as a business owner, it's consistent but different, you know, how you treat people. And I love to give the Herm Edwards analogy. And I think Jimmy Johnson has spoken about that is that, look, everyone's different. And, And not only to the leadership side, but when you think about what motivates them and what reaches them, some people you have to be, you know, you can be very aggressive with some, you have to put your arm around them as you're giving them counsel to really walk them through because they'll beat themselves up. So as a leader, you have to really understand what motivates each member of your team, their personality, what drives them, how they communicate well. And by learning those strengths and weaknesses that each of them have, well, now you can really fine tune how you communicate with them. So you're still consistent as far as communication with them, but the variation's important because each of them
0: receive it differently. Yeah, hundred percent. And then um, I, I remember a couple couple years ago, uh, one of our one of the younger members on my my learning and development team uh, was promoted, and so for the first time, she was going to have direct reports, and so she was all psyched out. Man, I mean, she was really nervous about it. And she goes, I've, n- "I've never I've never been a boss, never been a manager before." And so I said, "Here, just remember this every day." I said, "Take the blame." Give the credit, always, every day. I said, now, if you find yourself taking the blame for one of your members, that's a one-on-one conversation, back with the door closed, gain, hey, that bullet I just took for you, that hurt a little bit. So let's talk about root cause, what caused this, what caused our communication to break down, because I don't want to take another bullet. Right. And if you find that you're continually taking bullets for a member, well, then maybe it's time for a change there. But often, uh, uh, often I say, well, I shouldn't say often, too many times I'll see leaders want to take credit for what their team shouldered. And I'm just going, oh, it's if, if you could just get out of your own way and let the team have the credit. Right. We talk a lot about the difference between a big ego and a strong ego. Big ego people don't last very long in sales. Strong ego people—if you have a strong ego—you don't have to be the hero, right? You can—you can be the—the—you the, the, don't have to be the knight on the charging steed, right? You can be the page that's handing up the lance and the shield. So your customer or your team member can be the hero because you don't need to be.
1: This episode is brought to you by Sub Zero Wolf & Cove for over 75 years. Sub Zero Wolf & Cove has specialized in refrigeration, cooking, and dishwashing that can be found in some of the world's most luxurious homes. At AFT Construction, we look forward to crafting our client's dream kitchen when building the home of their dreams. To get this process started, we locate the nearest showroom and set up an appointment. It's that easy. Since Sub-Zero Wolf and Cove specializes in three major categories, we can make all of our kitchen selections in one stop. The first one is that Sub-Zero handles refrigeration. They are the preservation specialist, Key features included fresher, longer dual refrigeration, advanced air purification, precise temperature control, customized modular design. This ensures tastier, healthier food and eliminates waste so that the food stays fresher longer. Second is that Wolf is the cooking specialist. Key features include precise heat control, predictable, consistent temperature, intuitive controls, and easy to use technology. Everything is designed with you in mind. These features enhance flavors of food, ensure consistency, and eliminates guesswork. Delicious results every time. And last but not least is Cove, the cleaning specialist. Key features include precise water flow, superior drying conditions, fully adjustable interior for every need, and so quiet it never interrupts. Not only are all products functional and reliable, they look great, truly built to last. To schedule an appointment at your near Sub-Zero Wolf and Cove showroom, visit subzero-wolf.com showroom, or click the link in our show notes below going back to the motivation discussion that we were just speaking about where, yeah, financial is important and processes are important. But even more importantly, if you're going to continue to take the credit, you know, that there's nothing more demoralizing as an employee when you're putting forth the effort, you know, the value you're bringing. And yet the manager or supervisor or owner is taking the credit for themselves and not passing that on for everything you're doing. You know, and going back, I know you mentioned that you do apply some of the Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, Franklin Covey, which I love. You know, what is the Franklin Covey
0: and Miller Hyman process? Um, yeah, we use um, we use Franklin Covey content. I would say for uh, personal effectiveness. So Seven Habits, uh, Speed to Trust. Those are the two programs that that, that I facilitate. Miller Hyman is the process we use for sales effectiveness and. You you do need a sales process of saying this is how we're going to go through this. We we had a board member who's who's retired now, but he used to say, watching a room full of salespeople is like watching a room full of monkeys. Every act is random, and and so <laughs> I, I used to get mad at him for saying that. But then I was going, well, you know, I can't really argue. You know, <laughs> he's, he's kind of right. Um, So some of the things we started talking about on the conversation today was this consultative sale of, of listening rather than talking. That has to sort of get built into your sales process. And I think a lot of organizations, when they hire a salesperson, as I said, they onboard them and say, here's all the product knowledge, for some reason, they're assumed that that they have selling skills and a selling process inside their head they assume that they're good at self management in the context of time that they know to spend their time with the clients that are you know that, that deserve it not the ones that just demand it right and i don't know any other business discipline where that is just assumed right if if you hire a controller or a cfo you you I, do you just assume they use gap? Well, of course you do, right? Because you don't want to go to to jail. So of course they use gap principles on the accounting because that's a discipline. But people don't think sales is a discipline and it absolutely is. And so that's why we have a process that we use. And it's interesting, uh, Brad, because we'll we'll occasionally have a competitor try and make a run at at one of our salespeople to hire them away. And the way they always come at us is say, you know what, if you come over here, we'll just let you sell. We don't, you don't have all that process stuff that HHT makes you do, right? And so we we did we did have a couple salespeople in the past that sort of listened to that siren song and left, and they came back in less than a year, both of them did. And they said, that no process thing is no good. <laughs> right? Well, there's something to
1: be said about that. I mean, it just shows that everything you've been speaking about Tim in this conversation is yes, having systems in place in education that's important because what it's done is cultivating a uh, an environment where people want to be competitive they can be successful and that's why they come back that's really important so as we divert this now you know as you start thinking about the fireplace in the home you know and you know you represent a lot of brands a lot of products out there how do you continue to refine the knowledge, because even though in the conversation as a salesperson, you still have to get to the is does because, but you also have to be educated still and understand the new technologies, the new codes. If we're getting into building science, like you're going to be working with us on the net zero home with Mark Liberté, How does that change the box opening of the fireplace, you know, and the ventilation and everything that goes into that, that can affect the environment of the home. So how do you continue to educate not only the sales process, but also the, the product itself.
0: Yeah, and that, that's why this concept of, of hiring people that have a lifelong learning mentality because we, you know, our, our corporate headquarters are, are back in, in Lakeville, Minnesota. So sometimes uh, you'll hear our people in the field talk about getting whammed, which is the, the world according to Minnesota. <laughs> um, so it's very difficult from a corporate uh, perspective to, to know, to stay on top of what is every nuance with every building code? What's every peculiarity of every building official on every city? You have to have local knowledge in the market for that, right, to, to stay expert. And so, yeah, we can train on, you know, overall, what's what are the changes in, in building science, right? And what's what happened when you go from, you know, ENERGY STAR 2.0 to 3.0? And what is that? What's the impact of blower door testing on open hearth products? That, you know, that's sort of a blanket. Uh, learning or educational component and and we have a, a an online learning system that we do a lot of technology training product training but the nuances when it gets down to the marketplace where our local distributors and dealers where they deliver value to someone like you or to an architect or an interior designer is the local market knowledge of saying okay with with it because you know i i live in Minnesota, and we have some of the tightest energy. We used to live in 2,000-square-foot baggies, right? And then we, we just said, tighten them up, tighten everything up, insulate everything. And then all of a sudden, mold, mildew, what's all this, right? And then building science, and that was, you mentioned Mark Liberté. That's kind of back when I first met Mark, was in the, the late 90s. And that was the equation of, you know, insulate tight, ventilate right. You still have to have some air exchanges and things. So being able to know that if we're in the desert, as we're sitting here today, the energy code is still has to be astringent, but it's a much different environment that we're building that stringency for, right? And so that's when you need you need that expert in the market when it comes to hearth and how does this fireplace interact with the home as a system, right? And so is it going to be a sealed combustion? fireplace where we don't have to worry about bringing in makeup air or is it going to be an open hearth fireplace okay now we've got a lot of things inside the type of homes you build we got high cfm vent hoods in the kitchen right there may be two maybe three laundry rooms Mm -hmm. there's fans in all the bathrooms and now we've sealed this home up really tight well your hvac guy had better be on his game on calculating what's the combustion air needs of that home going to be because if you get that wrong with a fireplace on an open hearth situation and now in you know in Phoenix here you can't have wood burning inside anymore for environmental rules right so now if you have a gas unit that's not venting properly now we got a problem
1: yeah absolutely
0: we do and that's why it's super
1: important as you mentioned not only from you training your sales team but even my team right understanding yes if we have our ventilation systems the cfm for the the range that we're doing and as these get bigger and more extravagant and, you know, the exhaust from the launch and everything you mentioned and now our fireplace, you know, we have to understand that because it's a life safety issue and who are the professionals we're working with, you know, and that and, and that's something that, you know, we're, we're looking at continuing education, meeting with hearth and home technologies, right? Sitting down with you, getting that training, a lunch and learn because a lot of other builders are asking, well, Brad, how do you get this information? And what's amazing, a lot of our vendors give this. They They want to educate us. They want to, showcase this product you know they want to showcase some of the information that they're finding and and so it is accessible we just have to look for it so what are some of the technologies and products that you're excited about i know you represent so many with hearth and home technologies what are some
0: that that really speak to you tim so what are you asking me what which my kids
1: are my favorite is that is that kind of that's always a tough question yeah yeah it is depends on the day Um, probably
0: yeah there's uh that is absolutely true Um, so I think my, my personal favorites and, and one that I think would be very relevant for, for your listeners, the designers and the architects out there is, um, a brand called Stellar, which is not that well known. It's a, it's a smaller custom brand. Uh, it actually was started by some, some members of our company who, who left a few years ago, and then we've acquired them back since then. But the the thing that's just super cool about Stellar is that if a designer or an architect can imagine it, and if they can sketch it, we can build it. And not only can we build it, but we can get it UL listed. And there's nobody else in the world that can do that. So
1: everything's custom.
0: Everything is custom. And we'll UL list it, which makes it much easier when you're going through plan check Mm -hmm. on a custom hearth design and say, yep, here's the UL certification for it
1: and is this for an open hearth is this for uh, gas
0: for electric does it vary anything yeah it's pri- primarily gas and it's both open or sealed combustion I- either way and it's you know we've done l-shaped uh linear fireplaces that go 30 feet you know vertical and Forty feet horizontal. You know, it's a lot of a lot of commercial and restaurant applications, and restaurants uh, are, can be can be very challenging uh, for hearth products because of the amount of of air that's getting taken through the kitchen on exhaust fans, right? And so, sealed combustion systems in restaurants are almost always the the way to go there. And so, Stellar. You know, we've got the ability with with Stellar to to take a a company's logo and etch it into the glass. Mm-hmm. Um, they 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 can take a photo of the. Let's say you've got a, a, a you're on a. Is, are they mesas out here when you're at the top of yeah, the hill? Yeah, there's plateaus it, and mesas. Plateaus yeah. and mesas. So, uh-huh. if I, so if I'm on the mesa, and I want to ha- take a a. A landscape photo of what's outside we can recreate that photo and put it on glass and put that in the back of the fireplace so that it looks like you go window right through the fireplace to window and it looks like you're looking at that entire landscape view outside that home so anything uh you know if it's a if it's a uh, the cardinals logo we could put that on glass and put it in the back. So that's why I'm excited about the, having the Stellar brand because it really is any, any length of imagination that your, your clients would want to do, we can do it. Um, the other answer I've got is probably the other end of the spectrum because it's one of our old school brands of Vermont castings. And Vermont castings are freestanding wood stoves primarily. They do have gas as well. Um, but it was a brand that started in the 70s during the energy crisis. And um, we acquired that brand several years ago. And what I love about that, the Vermont Casting Story, is that we have uh, a clean electric fueled foundry in Vermont. And every day we take 12 tons of cast iron brake drums from automotive recycling and we melt that down. And that comes back out as parts for what I call high performance furniture. So we'll put mahogany colored, red colored, porcelain coating on these cast iron stoves and they are just beautiful pieces of art they become heirloom for for the family in in those homes and so they're clean burning wood we have gas as well but just that old uh iconic brand of vermont castings so i guess i guess my answer is it's sort of both ends of the spectrum i like i like the modern we can do anything stellar but i also like that old soul old school vermont castings feel too
1: Well, I think the key here, too, when you're looking at marketing, sales, branding, everything we're discussing here, which is primarily sales, but you think about how do I create the emotional journey, right, to the client? What's important to them? And you think about the stellar, well, you've essentially captured that in both ends. You have the full customization through stellar, so anything we can do, so that emotional part, the logo, whatever it may be, that's important to me, I can now put in my home, or I may be looking at something that there's a story behind it. There's value. Here's some recycled product that's being reused. You know, So if I'm thinking of something a little more sustainable or environment-friendly, I know Kohler's adamant about this. How can we re- reuse some of our product and make new product from it? And so there's a story, a timeless essence, if you will, of something that's been through different generations. And now this is the focal piece in our house.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and, and you know, we, run, we run a gamut through the, the whole, uh, all different price points. You know, Heat, Heat and Glow is one of our primary brands. That's a, that's a brand that started a uh, family-owned business in Minnesota. And uh, the Schimmick family that, that started that in, in the, the, the early 80s, mid, early mid-80s, they had the first patent for sealed combustion direct vent gas fireplaces. And that became a game changer because direct vent combustion came out as a technology just as homes were getting tighter. And so now you had a fireplace and they, they go, really, you can just put the, you can run a vent right out the wall. We don't have to go vertical with a chimney. Nope, you don't have to go vertical with a chimney anymore. And that opened up a lot of design possibilities. And so, um, you know, our Heat and Glow brand is, is a well-known Majestic. Um, you know, we, we have several core uh, brands that we've sort of brought together. And those that's what Hearth and Home Technologies is made up of is, A a house of of many different brands, all hearth brands. But hearth is all we do. I mean, we pride ourselves with being hearth experts. And, you know, we just think that there's times when you're building a home that you want to use an expert. And we think putting a fire in your house on purpose is one of those times. Yeah, and it's shocking. In every home we do in Arizona, we still
1: do them. And even though it's a desert climate, it does get very cold here in the winter you know, it, not Minnesota, but for us, it's cold. It's reasonably cold, but it's still a beautiful element, you know, how it makes you feel to look at that, right? There's a natural characteristic to fire, right? And really draws people in, as you mentioned, the ability to raise and lower that heat where you can still have that visual and maybe not cast off a lot of heat. Yeah.
0: It's that, you know, fire is one of the original four core elements, right? Of Water, air, earth, and and fire. And so there is something very primal about being around a fire. And, and it, it, people today assume that if they buy a new home, it's going to be a healthy home. They assume that, you know, it's low VOCs and it's going to be good air quality. Um, but there's a little higher level now uh, that we're trying to aspire to is can you actually, can your home actually make you healthier? Can it, can it increase your well-being Right. And, you know, you mentioned Kohler where we're doing a, a, a project with Kohler where that's that's sort of what the aspiration is, is what's what's the well-being story of being in this home? Because what happened is, you know, our, our 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 business in the last year has just been absolutely phenomenal. And when the shutdown started a little over a year ago, we kind of went, oh, holy smokes, how's this going to land? Right. And everybody was, you know, kind of like cattle in a lightning storm a little bit. And then our orders just kept going up and up and up, and we were going, what is kind of going on? And then when you th- we start thinking through it, right, the house changed last year. And, and the, the analogy I use is that, that for the longest time, the house was the launching pad. It's where we stopped to drop off some stuff and grab a shower and launch to somewhere else. It was a practice, it was a game, it was a movie, it was out to dinner, it was visiting grandma, it was going on vacation. And that all changed last year, and our home became a landing pad. No more vacations, can't travel right now, right? Can't go visit grandma, not allowed to. Practices, team sports, nope, shut down. So now we're at home all the time, not only just to live, but to work and people started seeing home differently as that landing pad and they thought wow if i got to be here all the time this place needs to do what i want it to do and fire a fire feature is one of those things that people are always sort of drawn to right it's interesting if you if you walked into a coffee shop here in arizona in august when it was a hundred and what 18 degrees out right they're probably not people out on the outdoor patio but if they're sitting inside and if there's a fireplace in that coffee shop and even if it's not on and there's two or three people sitting i'll bet you beer they're almost always sitting over by that fireplace we're we're inherently drawn to it it's security for us and so that's, that's the, you know, you ask what motivates uh, teams. That's what motivates our team, our internal marketing team, is that we understand and, and we're, we're motivated by the fact that people are around our products in their magic moments and their tragic moments. Their best moments and their worst moments are around the fire, right? If they just got a big job promotion, maybe pop some champagne by the fire. If they just lost their job maybe they seek comfort around the fire. If they've lost someone in their family, if they're making their family, you know, magic and tragic moments sometimes happens right in front of the fireplace. Well, it's
1: interesting. I mean, I I just think in my life history to this point, you know, anytime we're camping or outside, right, everyone's gathered by the fire. And those are the best moments that we've had either as a family or with friends or peers. And you think about now how much COVID has changed that. I look now at going back to the listening of my clients. Well, They're working from home. They need an office, you know, a spouse and spouse office. They need a kid's office. They need uh, a gym possibly at their home. They need Mm -hmm. to fix their landscape or their pool. Being in Arizona, we're at home. We're working from home. We're living there. We want it healthy. We want it to inspire, you know, so where they're not traveling, they're looking at, well, what furniture could I put in here? Where's my fireplace that's going to inspire me? And, And these are really valuable insights, Tim, because... You know, the the products that are out there and as we become more educated, what's out there. I mean, this is what our clients are asking for. And especially if there is another pandemic or lockdown, they want to be prepared where they can be home and be inspired and still have a safety or something that, you know, will bring joy to them, you know, being locked in their home.
0: Yeah, especially important if your work involves any kind of creativity, Mm -hmm. right? If you're in design, if you're a writer. Having marketing ju- anything. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, having that fire feature there and, you know, you you brought up a good point about, you know, the, even in this climate, well, we've, we've done a lot of advancement lately, not, not just we as a company, but our industry has on heat management, right? Because the, the trend now is for uh, linear, uh, long fire, long modern style fireplaces. And when that fireplace became lower, Everybody wanted to drop that big screen TV down Mm -hmm. to it, right? And and so that's not always a great solution from the TV's point of view because heat and electronics don't always mix well. And then for your clients, um, you may very well want a fire feature in a room and want zero heat out of it. So is it a wine room? They want to have the fire feature when they're enjoying maybe opening something new, but they certainly don't want any heat in that wine room from that fire feature. If they have a fine art collection, they may not want any heat. They likely won't want any heat in there. So the challenge for us as hearth designers was how can you still give a robust, visually appealing flame, but let the client control the heat and put it where they want to. And so a lot of our fireplaces now have that option of either heat zone where you can we can pull some or most of the heat off of the fireplace chassis and move it to another room. Um, we have heat out where we can kick it outdoors. Now, it's not an energy efficient solution, but it is the lifestyle solution that your client wants. And and so um, because of the TV moving down closer to because you don't want the TV high and everybody's got to crook their neck to watch it you know that's that's not a good solution, and so um, that's why it's important when uh, you're working through the design process and you're using a local hearth expert. They need to be. They should be. They better be. If they're representing our brands, they better be asking you. Tell me a little bit about what you think about how this client's going to live in their home. Are they going to entertain a home a lot? Do you know, do you do you think that there's you know going to be? Are they going to put a TV above it? And if so, right, high debt. You know, all all the electronic stuff is now as much of the conversation with fireplaces as the mechanical venting used to be. And, you Because know, they go hand in hand. They do. And, you know, all of our, our gas fireplace systems now have, have smart valve technology for smart homes. So you can go, you know, Alexa, turn on the living room fireplace. Alexa, turn on the outdoor fireplace. Um, so it all has to be in a, integral to work together with that home as a system so that your client can live in that home the way they envisioned it. Well, that's really important. I think from
1: just the sales perspective, Not only understanding how the person's living their lifestyle, how they're entertaining, where the TV's going to be located, but you also think about what's the surround, what's the design, right? What's combustible around the fireplace? You know, there's certain products that they can or should not put there around the fireplace. And what do you recommend to someone that wants to do a TV? Do you recommend that they put like a niche or recess that TV? I mean, what are things that they can do to work around maybe some items that are a little bit more combustible or dangerous to be around that
0: fireplace? Yeah, uh, the, um, the the niche is is a is a solution, and you could also put a shelf, you know, a mm-hmm. shelf mantle, a mantle. in to, to help with that as well. What we find though is that often the designer who's designing in that real long linear fireplace, they're looking for a really clean finish to that entire wall, mm-hmm. so they go, no, I, I don't want that mantle protruding. Right and I don't want the TV recessed very deep in a niche. I, wa- I want it to be clean, yeah. right? And, and so then what we almost always recommend is to go with, with one of our heat management solutions that basically takes the heat off that chassis and moves it up behind the wall instead of the front of the wall and then brings it out at the top ceiling level. So it's actually sort of moving up behind the wall and coming out above the fireplace. Um, you, you know, with gas systems, you, it's not like your TV is going to start melting off the wall, but you probably will diminish the life span of that TV to some degree. That's interesting. And how often do,
1: as you mentioned, in the modern design, it's going to be a long linear fireplace. It's going to be a very clean uh, facade there, right, that's it, installed, whether it be a stone or a product. And I know even with products such as engineered quartz, you have to be a little careful because they can heat they can crack they can you know there's some issues that come up and so how often do you know should we as the general contractor or the designer or the architect be conversing with you know someone from hearth and home technologies to understand is will this suffice you know how can we design around the heat that's going to be
0: given from the fireplace yeah that, that that's a holistic conversation to have with your with your local hearth expert because um and we you know when when our fireplaces go in we're going in at framing and there's other trades that will touch our work so the plumber will be on it the electrician will be on it you've got insulators sheet rockers working around it uh, we may or may not be doing the facing on it so it gets touched by a lot of other trades after we've been there and and often what will happen is we'll 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 have a situation, we'll have a problem, and what we found out was that they they put a custom wood mantle surround system on there and bookshelves and everything. They just built it too close, and we didn't have clearances anymore. And we didn't catch it because we didn't see it. It wasn't on the plan. We mm-hmm. didn't notice it on the plan. The inspector didn't see it. It just went. It just it missed a lot of check check boxes. And so it's better just to have that conversation up front with your your supplier on your hearth systems on, this is what the finished appearance of this wall looks like. This is the materials we're thinking about using. You know, I'm, I'm a big fan of, of natural materials, whether it be stone or granite or marble. Uh, some of the composite materials, as you said, uh, the binders they use, um, it, it it's not an issue that it would likely, especially with a gas fireplace, it's not that it would combust and start on fire, but what you could get are some odors, maybe off-gassing if you get it too hot. If it's a white substrate, if it's like a, you know imitation white marble or something, then you might start to see some discoloration mm-hmm. on some light yellow colors. Or yeah, a little mm-hmm. yellow or a little brown. And then also some of the adhesives you use um, they, to, to put the, the facing material on, that can bleed right through the lighter material if that material starts getting hot and starts almost wicking that adhesive from the back to the front of the, of the material. So it's, it's good to just have that entire conversation up front because there's, there's really two areas of design around the fireplace is what's, what's the fire itself. And that's important now because of gas, because with every gas fire, with a gas fireplace, every time you turn it on, that's the fire you get. It's not like a wood fireplace where every wood fire you built was different and unique, right? Because you build it different. Mm-hmm. This is the look you're going to get. So that's why it's important if you're putting gas systems in to work with a trade partner that has a showroom, that has burning displays where the designer or the client can go, yep, this is the look we want. This is the color of mater- of stone we want in, in the bed of it. And here's how uh, we achieve it. Yeah. And so it's 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 you you got to focus on what does the fire look like and then what does that finished wall look like. There's really a part A and a part B to that whole hearth design conversation.
1: So as a hearth expert, you know, we we mentioned, you know, that there's wood burning, there's gas, there's electric. I know in our market wood burning we can't have because of the air quality in Phoenix, but you know, as a hearth expert, what is
0: your preference? What do you like to see the most? Um, the, the the best of both worlds, uh, which you can't have here, but the best of both worlds in my book is gas inside and wood outside. Um, but also being intentional about wood outside, I, I like a wood fireplace outside, not a wood pit outside. You know, you mentioned earlier going camping with the mm-hmm. kids. Well, when you're when you're camping with the Boy Scouts, you don't care if you smell like a wood fire. Right. Um, but sometimes, <laughs> but if you have guests over, for they dinner. Do. They do, yeah, especially so, if they're in nice clothes. Yeah. So, so if you have an outdoor wood fire feature, I like to see it with a you know with an, an outdoor wood fireplace that has a chimney system right. that gets the smoke up and out and, yep. and away from you, not into you and your clothes, not into you. Right. So, and you know that's. Um, We see that in in Colorado a lot with with resort homes or vacation homes where they they like that. You can still do a wood fireplace outside, but Denver, because of that winter temperature inversion, same as Phoenix, Mm -hmm. right? Western metropolitan markets, winter air, a little heavier, Mm -hmm. holds that pollution in. So that's why Denver is gas only uh, and Phoenix is gas only. So... And I'd imagine Utah's that way. I think they also get that heavy layer, Ex- yeah. that inversion level. Yeah, exactly right. It's it's mainly kind of a west west of the the Mississippi sort of phenomenon.
1: That's amazing. And and as far as the flame look itself, you know, it's, I, I understand. You know, when you're doing a wood burning fireplace, you're going to have variation because it depends on how much you're stocking the fire and you know how big you want it to be. You know, and and what about uniform level on gas or electric? Do they vary? Can you set? you know, different standards or preferences to what
0: you want, you know, along with the different log sets and other options there? You, you can, um, and, and especially with, with a modern design where we, you know, we'll, we may use uh, different colored rocks and stones and things. So you've, you've got a little more uh, variation there. If uh, we, we also do combination sets where you have glass medium uh, as well as a log set. So you can have, you know, log sets in oak and split look and full look and birch logs. Um, and then I mentioned earlier the ability to, on most gas fireplaces, you can, whatever their high input level is, you can reduce that by 40 to 50% to get you know, a little bit lower, lower, lower flame because you want it not, not to be quite as hot in the room. And then we also have married a lot of LED uh, light uh, ember bed technology. So you've got an ember bed in the fireplace and that's being driven by the LED lights which then gives our design engineers a little bit more flexibility because now they can use all the gas BTUs on the actual main burner.
1: I love that. I love that you do the LED side because I've seen that. I've seen that in the fireplaces that we install too, and it just gives this more natural look. So you have the flames, which are visually informed, but the LED gives those accents to ember down below that makes it look like it's real authentic.
0: Yeah, yeah. And it's and the other, you know, gas is... Probably, I'd guess, probably 70% of the new construction market overall right now. And uh, electric fireplaces, total electric, no gas at all, are, are one of our fastest growing categories. And, you know, that's one of the things that intrigued me about the, the Mark's uh, project on, on the, the desert comfort home was that people assume that on a net zero home, you have to go electric fireplace. Well, you can but what what i learned from mark on this process and mark teaches us all every day right what i learned is that no he that he's putting in lp an lp tank on in this home to basically drive the two gas fireplaces the cooktop and the grill outside and he said that's separated from the the energy requirements to heat and cool the structure And that you know he has a low enough HERS rating that he's going to actually be able to generate enough credit that he's offsetting the ability to have what he wants, which is he said I still want gas fireplaces and I want to cook with gas. And so that was one of the things that intrigued us about partnering on that project was to be able to still have a gas fireplace in a Zenet home.
1: Which I think is super valuable for anyone listening because essentially what he's doing is he's still working within the regulation for the net zero, but he's having the natural element as you mentioned you know, through this design and through everything he's doing with the hers rating. Yep, exactly. Well, this is super exciting, Tim. I mean, you've brought so much information, you know, not only about hearth and home, but also about some of the products out there, but more importantly, sales and how we can refine those processes, apply those, the mentality behind it, the motivation, you know, so what do you have that's upcoming and exciting?
0: Uh, what do I personally have? Well, both personally so. and company wise. Yeah. Um, personally, it's, uh, I, I, I keep, um, I keep, threatening to retire. Um, you know, I've been 42 years in this crazy business, so it's, it's been a long run. And then, uh, when my wife Justine realized that retirement meant twice the husband and half the salary, (laughs) she said, I'm, I'm not signing up for that deal. I'm not going to take it. So I'm, I'm still, I'm still working. And, um, I like to look at life kind of like in thirds, right. And, and it's, it's profession, passion, and purpose. And, uh, it's interesting, not a lot of people, when you ask, when you what's their origin story about how they do what they do, right? Sometimes I'll talk to builders and one of my favorite questions is always, how'd you get into it? And, you know, often it's, well, my dad was a builder, my grandpa, you know, they're a second, third generation builder. But oftentimes when you talk to people and go, how did you get into doing this? it wasn't, they, they weren't, you know, 10 years old thinking this is what they were going to do. I was not in high school thinking, man, I can't wait to graduate so that I can go sell fireplaces. <laughs> and so often profession, the profession picks the person rather than the person picking the profession. And and that's, that's sort of what happened to me as well. And and so that's what happens in your first third of life. And then in your second third is, is what I call the passion. That's the passion session. And If you're good at what you do professionally, then they'll let you do what you're passionate about within that profession. And so my passion became developing salespeople and sales process and lifelong learning of our sales teams to be the best people out there and and coach and help them. And, and now I've moved finally into my final third, which is my purpose. So the, the company has been been very generous. and They're sending me to coaching school at the moment to be a, a, an executive coach and a performance coach. And we, we do offer third-party coaching resources to develop our members. And our president had the foresight to say, well, what if you know, Tim doesn't look like he's ever going to retire? So we got to move him off somehow so that we can have some of our young talent come up and, and do his job. What if we let him hang out a little bit as a coach? And so that's where I'm going to spend probably my next several years is, is just in that coaching and development role.
1: Well, that's super exciting. I mean, that is a true talent, Tim. I can see that. You know, I just, you know, the conversation today, all the insight, you know, the way that you can communicate these things and coach, I mean, it's very valuable. I, you know, I think that's a lost art. I think there's a lot of us that need to apply a lot of the teachings you gave us today. So I thank you for that. And I'm excited to hear that you're going to be continuing coaching other companies and individuals, you know, to help better uh, our industry and market. So where can our listeners find you? Or futurely, you know, futurely is probably not a word, but in the future, you know, you're coaching. Uh,
0: yeah, fu- futurely. Yeah. I can be, um, that's the benefit of a last name like Rethlake yeah. is there's, there's not many of us there's around, so I'm easy to find. So yeah, so LinkedIn, Tim Rethlake on LinkedIn. And for the last 11 years, uh, I have posted a sales, sales leadership or marketing tip every Monday through Friday for the last 11 years. It's amazing. And um, so it's, it's, a, it's a quick read. I stick, I stick to the 280-character limit that Twitter has because I post both on Twitter and mm-hmm. on LinkedIn. So you can read it in 30 seconds. And every Monday through Friday, it shows up at 7.55 a.m. Central Time. So if you want to connect uh, just for the purpose of getting a sales tip every morning, I'm happy to provide that. Well, thanks, Tim. You've been phenomenal. Appreciate it. You're welcome. I appreciate the invitation.
1: So thank you all for tuning into the podcast today. And just as a recap, if you check the show notes, they're just going to have all the links for the topics that we discuss. And also one of our favorite features now is the chapters that go through the conversation. So if there's certain topics you want to revisit or listen to, they're outlined by the time that we discuss those. And again, we can't thank you enough for all of your support. Please make sure and download our podcast, subscribe, give us a five-star rating and review wherever you download your podcast.